0: This is the EAIE podcast, and I'm your host, Laura Rumbly. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've reached number thirteen in our podcast series, and today we're tackling a sobering topic. Nearly one year ago to the day from the airing of this episode, the World Health Organization officially declared the COVID-19 crisis a pandemic healthcare providers and health educators have been on the front lines of this global medical emergency from its inception. So it seemed very fitting to turn our attention to individuals playing those kinds of roles today. To that end, this episode brings us the voices and perceptions of two health educators and healthcare professionals. I had the very distinct pleasure and honor to discuss with them how the last year has affected them personally and how it's informing and transforming the approaches they take to their work as educators. First, we hear from Dr. Helena Nordenstate, a physician and associate professor of global health based at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. I was wondering, Helena, if you could give us a little indication of how it is that you found your way into teaching about global health, what kinds of experiences or interests brought you to that role? Uh,
1: well, I always liked teaching and I've been involved in teaching ever since I graduated and uh, but to different degrees, not uh, necessarily uh, regularly but wherever whenever I got the chance and uh, working clinically as a physician, teaching is part of Everyday life, so there are always medical students around, so always chances to teach, even if it's only a minute or two. But uh, finding time here and there. Uh, since I started in the Department of Global Public Health here at Karolinska about seven years ago, I've been involved in teaching a specific course in global health, and um, teaching the same course year after year really gives the opportunity to try to. Change a little bit, adapt a little bit every year after noticing what works and what doesn't work, both from the view of the students and and, uh, the teachers, and trying to improve it a little bit every year. And it's just been so rewarding to be responsible for such a course where the students get to travel. So it's a five-week course and half of the time is spent uh, in Sweden on campus uh, with a lot of Seminars and lectures and traditional teaching, and then the other part of the course is going to low or lower middle income countries and experience global health with your own eyes and hands and just uh, visiting the health system on different levels in in the countries that the students go to. So it's been extremely rewarding to see how the students really grow in this course and how much they enjoy going traveling, which of course we all do. It's, it's a, a very nice course to be the course leader for.
0: Wonderful. Is there something in your background, um, international experiences or exposure, that had you gravitate toward um, an interest in global health?
1: Yes, uh, there is. So um, about 10 years back, I volunteered for Doctors Without Borders and spent a year in the Democratic Republic of Congo working as a physician in a small hospital. And after that, I really wanted to get more involved in global health and uh,
0: now I am. That's wonderful. I wonder if you could tell me just a little bit about the types of students that are attracted to your program and the kinds of things that they go on to do after completing coursework uh, and doing some sort of a focus in global health.
1: So this is an elective course and it is open for quite a few different programs at Karolinska Institute. So we have Usually about half are medical students, but medical students from the third year, but also from the final year. We also have quite a few nursing students, and then every year a few dental students, psychology students, uh, biomedical labo- laboratory students, occupational therapy, and audiology are also subjects. Well, students from this. So it's it's quite a mix, which is uh, fantastic. It is a little bit of a challenge, especially since it's so heavy there's mostly medical students and to get the other students to not feel excluded. But it's also a lot of fun because usually it's the first time that these students from these different programs
0: get to meet. That's really interesting to see that crossover then across the different... Yeah, Mm. yeah,
1: it it is. I I really appreciate that. But it is an elective course. So those who choose this course usually have an interest from before and some just want to travel. But um, most of them are interested in in global health. And um, afterwards, there are quite a few who, of course, they have to continue with their usual studies to get their degrees. But um, I think this is an eye opener for at least a few students every semester and who then continue to pursue a career within
0: global health. So the COVID-19 pandemic has really brought the borderless nature of particular kinds of healthcare emergencies into much sharper relief for all of us around the world, I would say. Um, Yet, my understanding is that healthcare provision and healthcare professionals typically operate, apart from global health specialists like yourself, in a particular local or national context. What do you say that the pandemic has been teaching us about the state of internationalization in health and welfare education in Europe and elsewhere and and again also about its, its relevance to us?
1: Well the first question is the easiest one the relevance it's become extremely relevant that health is not well it is a local um, issue but it is also a global issue We cannot only work locally. We need to understand that what happens here will affect what happens in in our neighboring countries. If there is a virus that is emerging in China, it can travel all over the world, as we have just seen. And this is really something that we in Global Health have been saying for many years. But I'm not sure how many of us actually believed it. But we knew that it was part of something that we should be saying because pandemics have always been part of human life it's just that there was quite some time since last we had a big one and all of a sudden here we are and uh, here it is the pandemic but before it was most when talking about future threats to to health it was always mandatory to mention and of course we could have a pandemic Uh, again I'm not sure how many of us really believed that it would come but but it did so extremely relevant, and it's clear that the students also realize this and therefore appreciate the course from, from that perspective as well. But, uh, it gives them a, a better global understanding of what is going on.
0: That actually was a question that I had about whether or not you might anticipate an upswing in numbers of students who would be interested in the course, or if you've even seen that during the course of this year.
1: Well, there, I think there are two parts of that because the, the relevance is there. So yes, we would anticipate an upswing, but the travel part is not there since we have gone online. And therefore, I think quite a few of our students are now very, very tired of lectures online and seminars online. And they want to see things and do things and meet people. So since this is an elective, they can choose other courses where they actually get to see people. So this semester, this spring semester is the first time we have about 50% of the number of students we usually have. People are tired of Zoom.
0: Interesting. So that does feed into another question that I wanted to ask you about the challenges of teaching in the current environment in fields in which, you know, hands-on experience and face-to-face engagement with other individuals are so fundamental. How have you been reacting to those challenges and What are some of the the things that you're learning about how this can work or or not work? Well, there have definitely
1: been both sides, both advantages and disadvantages. Mostly disadvantages, disadvantages because there's nothing that can beat your own experience, learning from experience, learning from seeing yourself. And the students know this and appreciate that. But the advantage is that usually the students get to go to one country and they spend two weeks in, for example, Tanzania or Vietnam but uh, now we instead when we have gone online what we do is we can visit all these countries all students can visit all countries and they can make comparisons between the countries which they couldn't do before because they would only see one country and they also get to meet lecturers from all the countries they, they do study visits to other countries so that is an advantage but it's not if you balance or if you try to weigh it against what they actually miss the students think Yes, it's good, but it would have been even better.
0: I can imagine the real sense of loss of that yeah. very intense personal experience. So, healthcare and welfare professionals around the world have really been on the front line of an extraordinary, intense, and extended battle to support the well being of their communities. But well, they also must take care of themselves in order to be able to continue to do this really vital work. I wonder if you could give us a sense of some ways that you see the international community of health and welfare professionals and educators offering support to one another through these, these challenging times. Do you find yourself in somewhat greater contact with colleagues around the world? Or is there something different about the ways that you're engaging and, and supporting one another?
1: Well, this is just my personal feeling, but I, I get the feeling that my colleagues all over the world, that everyone is more eager for contact. <laughs> that it used to be that everyone was quite busy and didn't have time for contact, but now it's like they people miss the international contacts and miss having people visiting, and therefore the international contacts that we do have now via Zoom or other programs is um, is more appreciated than before. At least I'm. That's definitely from from my part. That's very true.
0: And do you see the work that you're doing in your course, the content or the the way that you think about it? evolving uh, as a result of what we've been experiencing over the last year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the full two weeks when the students would normally be visiting another country that has now been turned into an online course instead with online visits, we have uh, decided to add a part about COVID into it. So the, the final examination is now to present the COVID situation of the country that the students were supposed to go to and then compared with the COVID situation in, in another country. So we're really weaving things about the COVID pandemic into all lectures and all seminars and all, all study visits. So um, if they hadn't heard enough about the pandemic before, they will be quite tired of it after the course, I think. But it seems like they're appreciating it and, uh, and also getting to see the, and hear about the pandemic in, in other
0: countries. Very interesting. Is there anything else that is on your mind as you reflect on this, you know, very extraordinary year and the the global picture? And to me, what's been so fascinating is the way that the global is also experienced at such a local and personal level by each one of us. As you reflect on that, I wonder how you feel about the choices that you've made to work in global health and um, what you're anticipating or looking forward to as we hopefully move through this experience to a moment when we have a healthier world around us
1: well first of all for me it has been a strange experience so i i've done several other missions with doctors without borders and especially in west africa during the big ebola outbreak there a couple of years back and to me that was a very intense personal experience and an experience that i couldn't really share with people at home because it wouldn't understand it and didn't really want to listen too much they would listen politely for a minute or two and then go on to something else and to me it was such a profound experience and now all of a sudden everyone I know is experiencing the same things and talking about the same things that we did when when I was there which has been quite a strange feeling in the beginning at least another thing I wanted to mention is that uh, so we, our course happens twice per year and uh, the last time I was in December January just at the height of the second peak of, um, of cases in Sweden. And quite a few of our students uh, are, they work extra uh, in hospitals as uh, assistant nurses, and some of them as junior doctors and, and such. And um, I, I'm very thankful that they do that. I'm very grateful we, we need them there. They're, all the extra hands are needed, but of course it clashes with, with the course. But I really tried to be as flexible and as generous as is possible to give them free time to go and work and give them extra assignments instead if when they miss things, miss uh, mandatory parts.
0: It really does sound like you've had to be flexible, move in the moment. I think uh, this notion of being fluid and nimble for all of us has been yeah. very prominent this year. Well, thank you so much, Helena. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about what you're experiencing and what this means in the context of a global health uh, education program and uh, the work that you're doing on the front line there. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Helena norden Associate Professor of Global Health at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. Our second guest is Ellen Toot, a lecturer in nursing at Alphonse University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands and a qualified intensive care unit nurse. I began by asking Ellen a similar question to one I'd posed to Dr. Nordenstate. What did she think the pandemic might be teaching us about the state and relevance of internationalization in terms of health education?
2: Uh, If I'm uh, looking towards your question as a nurse, I think there is a need to exchange and to be able to exchange nurses in case of a pandemic. If we are able to exchange nurses within countries, we would be able to help each other. So it teaches us that we, were, uh, we don't have enough educated nurses in the past. Mm-hmm. And we need to increase the amount of nurses who are working in the field.
0: Do you think there may be an upswing in interest among students in studying about <laughs> healthcare and healthcare provision now?
2: Yeah. Uh, when I was in the front line on the ICU for two and a half months, People who are working as a cleaning profession at the ICU, they heard I was a lecturer in nursing. So they came to me and they asked, I want to be in the front line because I now, uh, now I clean, but I really would like to help with caring for patients. Can I have some information about uh, how to become a nurse? So when I was at the front line, I uh, really made uh, acquaintance with such people. And a few months later, uh, we had the applications for the new school year. It's unbelievable. Normally, we had like 300, 400 students. In the first year now, there are 800 students who want to become a nurse. And that's because of the pandemic.
0: It's really interesting when you say that it actually kind of gives me chills to think about yeah. people who are willing to step forward. Yeah. Because I was actually wondering about the the negative effects, the, the, some of the fears and the concerns around being personally exposed, you know, to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but fascinating to hear that for many people it's actually a trigger to want to jump in and assess. Yeah. They see that
2: it's a vital profession and they can add value. For patients and to develop skills you
0: can always use? So healthcare, even though it's practiced locally and nationally, I would say that there's probably a very common understanding among healthcare providers around the world about what their role is and their willingness to help and guide people to good health, no matter who they are and no matter where in the world they are. So there's there's a kind of a universal link I would say among healthcare providers around the world how do you think the pandemic has already resulted or may result in some changes in the way that health and welfare educators think about the international dimensions of the work that they do well i think
2: within a crisis and i think in this pandemic people are increasing their their view and their, their world so they want to uh, be able that they are safe and i think if you're able to not look only in your your own uh, safe bubble and you look around where can i help then i think that's an increasing value to collaborate and to see not within the borders of your country but also uh, behind the borders, because you can learn a lot from people uh, on the other side of borders. Uh, For instance, we were able at the ICU to uh, flip patients and to turn patients on their belly. And we had a way of a smart way of, of doing that. It was not typical and we made a video of it. And I think it was very helpful, it's been very helpful that this video would be spread around a healthcare profession and there's no such platform to share like very practical things you can learn in a, in a pandemic and in your
0: daily day work. And I think that would have helped a lot of nurses. So, maybe there is now, from this experience a call and a greater understanding that, hmm, perhaps we should have more of these kinds of channels that will allow us to you know, I, I don't mean to diminish the idea, but to crowdsource the the good ideas and the good approaches that we're learning in the moment. exactly of this experience. I know that across the board, teaching has had to undergo a lot of changes over the course of the pandemic, given the fact that it's been so much more difficult for people to come physically together. So I was wondering how you and your teaching colleagues have been reacting to the challenge of of this issue, especially in a field where the work is so hands-on and the learning is often very, very practical and applied. Can you talk a little bit about how you've been responding to that? Yeah, we needed to switch very
2: fast, because when the the, the, the schools closed next week, we uh, needed to be online. Uh, so the first weeks, and I was working at the ICU on that time and wasn't teaching, but I had a lot of contact with my colleagues. The, fir- the first weeks were, <laughs> well, I think uh, we had a steep learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Now we are almost completely online and I think we were able to learn from good uh, experiences and good uh, working forms to gain and maintain uh, attention from uh, students who are in an online meeting because if you have Thirty students in a classroom, I'm able with good work forms to keep their their concentration. But online, if you have thirty people in an online meeting, you are not able to again the same and maintain the the same concentration. Yeah, we really shaped the the curriculum and the way we normally provided the the, the education. And I think a lot of students don't have anything with the online lessons and a lot of students think oh, it's okay uh, normally I provide some education in, in the fourth year so it, they're almost ready f- to become uh, a nurse and the, the the students are who are in the in the fourth year they are really enjoying uh, the freedom of not traveling and they have a lot of time to to work on the last parts of the of the education. And they say, I think the online lessons fits me and fits this moment. Uh, whereas the first years are having a lot of trouble. They don't know the teacher. They don't know the education. They are just in, they are struggling.
0: Mm. You know, yeah. I was wondering about, um, and not being an expert on the progression that a nursing student would go through, but for some of the early stages, I'm imagining you're learning some very fundamental things like how to administer a thermometer or how to give an injection or mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. Are, are you able to still do some of those hands on kinds of instruction or do you have to perhaps delay some of that until a different moment or do it in person in much smaller groups or something like that? In the, the first
2: time we were shut down as a school, every lesson was was stopped. We couldn't provide any lessons on the on school um, but when it progresses, we were able to uh, have a few amount of uh, a small amount of lesson on on the high school and as as the nursing team, we were able to provide a few lessons in the building and the practical techniques we uh, were able to provide face to face the theoretical parts of these practical techniques we were provided online so the students had first an online meeting with the theoretical parts and then they uh uh, next day they were going to school and the, the same teacher provided the practical uh techniques okay and and the the amount of students we uh decreased from 30 to 15 in a classroom they all had to wear a mouth mask, had sufficient hand hygiene and we were very strict. But well, as a practical teacher, you can't teach people to inject if you're not close enough to see what you're doing. So the amount of distance with one another, we couldn't keep one, one and a half meters. Yeah. And I think that's okay because I, I stand on an ICU and I, I provide care with with patients in the front line. Then I also can do very healthy students who might have COVID
0: beside me. So it's been quite a year. Here we are at the one year point of the World Health Organization declaring this global pandemic, and individuals like you have really been on the front line of a very intense battle, you know, against this public health enemy. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the ways that you yourself have been working to take care of yourself, you know, in the midst of that very intense experience. And I I think you've already alluded to it a little bit, but I also wonder about how how you're thinking about your role in a global community of healthcare providers might have changed or evolved over this year. Well, I was an
2: ICU nurse and I went away because I wanted to do some other things in my career. But when the pandemic came, I felt the urge to be on the front line because I had the knowledge to work on an ICU. I knew the colleagues at the ICU, so there was no time to really think about it and it was a need and an urge, I felt to help my former colleagues at the ICU. The images from the ICUs uh, from from Italy and the UK really really helped people around me to see that I needed to be there. So I felt supported by my former colleagues on the ICU, by my family, by uh, my uh, employer. um, And it, it really brought... Experiences that I I was able when I called a student who was um, working on uh, in the same hospital uh, for an internship. I say I know what you mean. I know what you experience. Yeah. It's hot in these uh, suits and all the package you are wearing to to support yourself and to not become sick. And that really helped me. Mm, that really helped the education it helped uh, me as a person it's it helped my my colleagues so it was a really win-win situation but i I was in the luxury of uh, having it for two and a half months so you really are focused on I need to focus me on the next day of of working on the ICU. I really, Um, believe that the ICU colleagues who are facing the pandemic for a year now, they are tired. Mm. They really are tired. And I think when COVID decreases, there will be a lot of burnouts.
0: Ellen, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate your insights. Thank you very much. That was Ellen Toot, a lecturer in nursing at Avans University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands, who took time off from her teaching role last year to work in a COVID-19 intensive care unit. We hope you've enjoyed this episode on health education amid a global pandemic. The EIE has an expert community dedicated to health and welfare education, and you can find a link to information about their activities and interests as a part of the session notes that accompanied this episode. More podcast material will be headed your way soon. Our next podcast episode airs in just two weeks' time. Meanwhile, we have a lot going on for EAE members this month. There's still time to register for the 2021 EAE Community Summit. This will take place March 18th and 19th and is organized around the theme of the impact imperative. Please join me and my fellow speakers for two days of live conversations and engagement as we explore how we can increase the impact we make in our daily work. EAIE members can register for free, and non-members can join for a fee of 89 euros. This month is also a wonderful moment to recognize excellence and celebrate those who inspire you by proposing them for one of the 2021 EAIE Awards, which are now open for nomination. If you know any individuals, institutions, or all-around internationalization superstars who have excelled this past year despite the challenging circumstances, Please visit the EAE website to put them forward for one of our three awards. You can find more information about both the awards and Community Summit by visiting www.eaie.org. Thank you, as always, for listening to the EAE podcast. We hope you'll subscribe on your favorite listening app so you don't miss a single episode, and that you'll like and share us on social media far and wide. For now, all good wishes to you from the EAE.